Hello, and welcome to season three of Unadulterated Heart. It is I, your host and friend, Rachel the Beloved. This season is going to get deep, so I hope you're ready for some filet mignon. I'm going to go sit at the table in the presence of my enemies. I'll see you there. As I was in the secret place with the Father, I was sitting with him and asking him to search my heart. Uh, Whatever is in me that doesn't need to be there, that doesn't belong there, that keeps me back, holds me back from the fullness that he has for me, I, I don't want it. And it's only in the secret place, my alone time, my intimate time with him, that he is able to speak ever so quietly to the depths of my soul and prune me. This is why I constantly talk about the secret place because listening to sermons, listening to podcasts, fellowshipping with other believers, serving, all of these things are amazing, great things, things that we should be doing 100% for growth and, and all of that. But if we're not taking what we're learning when we're reading the word, when we're listening to sermons and all of that, if we're not then taking that concept that we just put into our brain and go into the secret place with the father, that intimate time alone with him and ask him to seal it in our hearts then we're missing the biggest step to be totally honest like we are we're missing out on the benefits of what we just learned because how many of us can say that you know we we hear a message uh, at church or whatever on youtube and then it's just instantly applied in our lives and we go with that message and we're changed and we we're all of a sudden transformed in that moment. Mm -mm. That's not really how it works, right? Like we have to, we got to take it and we got to meditate on it. We got to, we got to allow Holy Spirit time to transform our minds and our hearts to really reflect what it is that we have learned, right? So the word speaks so plainly of this when in James it says uh, James 1 it says do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Mm. A mirror, right? So are we reflecting, like I was saying, are we, are we reflecting what the word says about us, about him? Because we're here, we're his ambassadors. An ambassador is one that looks exactly like the one that they are representing. I know we're not going to do this perfect. I, I'm not perfect. I am so far from it. Oh my. I, I still fall short constantly. I'm not saying I've just figured this all out. I'm just 
speaking from the heart. But let's get back to it. So this episode is called All You Need Is Love. A uh, little Beatles reference there for you. So if you're anything like me, uh, I could stand to grow in love in so many ways. Uh, if you think about it, how are you really loving people? How, how are you really loving your spouse? Uh, you know, when they do those things that annoy you, when they, when you ask them to do something and then they don't do it, you know, uh, maybe if they're being grumpy or whatever, like, are you able to still love them? Is our love unconditional like the father's? Because we're called to that. And if we're honest, our love can have conditions, right? That's why I'm saying that we, I, need to grow and become love. This is what we're called to, right? In, uh, in John chapter 13, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, when he was talking to the people, he said, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I was, I was really thinking about if I love people well. Like I was saying, when I was sitting with the Father, asking him to search my heart, whatever it is that is in me, that doesn't need to be there. Whatever needs transformed, I want it. Surrendering. And this came up. So I had to really look and search, like, what does it look like to love well? Because uh, something was brought to my attention that was really disturbing. And I'm just going to share, share it with you guys in like a general sense. I'm not going to give names. I'm not going to disclose who these people are or anything like that. But um, it was brought to my attention that there is a YouTube channel. And there's probably multiple YouTube channels that I don't even know. It doesn't matter. I didn't look super crazy into it uh, except for what this specific channel was that my friend told me about. And these people will go on, the professing Christians, they profess Christianity, uh, and they go on and they uh, bash and badmouth other fellow believers. Uh, they say they're doing it to expose them and things like that, that these are, you know, uh, false teachers or whatever. Um, so here's the thing. That's such a fine line, right? Because when you're, when you're a public figure, you know, it's important to make sure that you are preaching and teaching um, the Word of God accurately. And I totally get that, right? Because we don't want to deceive people. Yes. But the way we go about correction of our brothers and sisters, right, who are maybe outwardly or blatantly uh, sinning or taking the word of God out of context, okay, uh, I can understand why maybe that could need addressed, you know. Uh, we don't want people to be led astray, sure, sure, sure. 
here's the thing here here's my mindset on it though you know what i'm saying here uh hear me out is it our job to outwardly expose uh our brother or sister what if our the one who is you know preaching something that may be misrepresented or something what if that person really just is misunderstanding so when it comes to addressing sin uh in the church matthew 18 directly specifically jesus points out exactly how to go about it and it says this if your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault just between the two of you no gossip if they listen to you you have won them over but if they will not listen take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. So I wonder with these bashing videos that these people, these self-righteous Christians are acting as if they can do no wrong and just put down all of these other pastors. I wonder if they have tried to go to the, these pastors that they are bashing and correcting publicly. I wonder if they've gone to them just one-on-one. -on -one. I wonder if they've tried to take one or two people with them as they address them in private. Or did they just automatically go out to the public See, it's so it's so testy now with all of this technology, right? Because it says to go to the church. It doesn't say to take your offenses and take your corrections publicly. It says to take it to the church. So when you're blasting on YouTube or social media about the sins of others, other brothers and sisters, let alone unbelievers, but other brothers and sisters, you outwardly, publicly shame them. I just can't see the love of the Father in that. I believe it just boils down to at the end of time when they, we, all of us stand in front of the Father, we will give an account for our own lives. And I'm just going to leave it at that with that whole topic. So anyway, let's get back to love, right? The, the whole reason I keep going on these tangents. Okay. So I began with talking about, you know, are we even loving our spouse or our friends, our brothers and sisters? Well, but let alone our enemies, right? Uh, because we are called to love our enemies. So whenever you think of your enemy, you think of probably somebody who has bad-mouthed you, gossiped, slandered, maybe even physically harmed you in some way, or a loved one, you know, uh, an enemy. You could even go as far as to think about terrorists, an enemy of, you know, our country or whatever. There's many different ways to describe an enemy, right? Many of us have heard the phrase or maybe even said the phrase, 
I am trying to love them. And if we're honest, in our own strength, we cannot try to love very well. Uh, We can make some behavior modifications to ourselves, but when it comes down to it, it's the heart that the father is always looking at, right? So uh, even if we grit our teeth and don't retaliate when someone wrongs us or even a loved one, you know, says something hurtful or whatever, after so many times of trying to do it in your own strength, you're going to miserably fail. And then there may have to be some damage control and all of that. So what I want to talk about today is instead of trying to love and trying to do it in our own strength, why not seek him in the secret place to become love? So that way, when you're going about your day and somebody wrongs you, you can truly shine the love of Jesus so that when he says that the way you love one another, the people will know that you're his disciple, that that would be true in your life. In my- so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and all I ask is that you ask Holy Spirit to come and examine your heart, examine your motives, and Ask him to show you if there's anything as we dive really deep into this chapter. If there's anything that is in you that needs to be refined by the fire, transformed by his Holy Spirit. Because I know that this is going to be a familiar chapter for many of you. um, But it's really important that we don't just become familiar with something and then not really allow it to permeate our being. And specifically this love chapter, it's just really burdened on my heart right now that we really examine ourselves and really become this love that is in his word. So when we look at 1 Corinthians, we know that this letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, okay? And I just learned that there were two reasons why he wrote the letter. So he wanted to correct the serious problems in the church that have been reported to him, okay? So I guess the Corinthian Christians seem to view some of these issues lightly, but Paul saw them as problems and serious violations of God's standards. He also wanted to provide a godly counsel and instruction on a variety of questions the Corinthians had raised in their letter to him. So we know it's one big letter. The way that 1 Corinthians 13 starts out, it actually says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. So that's kind of a weird way to start a chapter, right? So I I looked back a little bit at 1 Corinthians 12 and saw that right before the love chapter, He is talking about how we are one body, but many parts of the body that, you know, we are called to be a unit, that all of us operate in different giftings. And that is a huge reason why we need one another 
and need that community because we are a bunch of different parts of the body. And without each other, we can't function as one body. Like, that's why the enemy wants nothing more than to isolate us. And I'll just throw this in there as a little freebie for you, but online church is awesome. It's really a great tool if you can't make it to church like if you actually physically cannot make it to church for sure but I think too many people have gotten comfortable doing online church and it has completely stripped you from being part of a body which is so very important according to the word not my idea according to the word Anyways, I better not go on a tangent. That could be an episode for another time or something. So 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read it and dig deep at the same time. We're just going to devour this chapter together. Let's go. It says, If I speak in the tongues of angels and men, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, which that sounds horrible, by the way. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge. Wow. So like if you prophesy and you have gotten insane revelation from the Father, you are so wise, so knowledgeable of the word. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, a faith like Enoch, but I have not love, I am nothing. So clearly, gifts, knowledge, faith, all of these things are good things. But if you have all of those things and you have not become love, it accounts to nothing. It doesn't matter. So it's like you can read your Bible all day. But if you don't grow in love and learn how to love people right, all of that reading of the word is in vain. It means nothing. If you walk in all of these spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy or, you know, healing, laying on of hands, miracles, if you walk in all of those gifts, but then you're rude and angry or judgmental, all of those gifts mean nothing. So it seems like it's really, really important to be growing and becoming love Because otherwise, nothing that we're doing matters. All right, so here comes the examination of self. Here's what it all boils down to. This is what love looks like described by the word. The first sentence is, love is patient. Love is kind. So when you think about your own life, when you think about yourself, Are you patient with people? Are you patiently allowing them to make mistakes, continue to grow over and over again? Are you setting unrealistic or unnecessary expectations on people, just assuming that they should get it by now? Do you find yourself saying things like, I'm so sick and tired of fill in the blank. What about kind? I've met a lot of people who are really okay with the fact that they're what they say 
themselves, the words out of their mouth is that they're kind of mean. (laughs) And uh, according to the father, that is exactly opposite of what we are called to be. So if you find yourself being kind of mean, then I would just venture to say it is an area that God really wants to shape in you, giving you a a fruit of kindness. What about to even go farther and, and be kind even when somebody else is being rude? Now that is a supernatural thing. That's why I'm saying we have to go to the secret place with this thing. We have to allow Holy Spirit to to shape these things in us because our own nature, there is no way that we can be this way. It is unnatural in the face of adversity that we would be kind and patient and not react. Reaction, right? Let's do one more little tangent here. Well, I say one more, but who knows? Anyway, reactions, the way we react to situations, circumstances, people, that right there will speak volumes about who you are as a Christ follower, as a little Christ-like one. If your reactions are refined to the point where no longer do you react in anger when somebody is rude to you or cuts you off or I don't know, whatever. If you react in love and kindness and patience, then you know that he is refining you and that you're growing and maturing. It says next, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is not proud. Pride needs to die in our lives. And we should never be boasting, right, on, on our own efforts like we are something great. Because you are only who you are. All of the good things about you is because of the Father. Humans are not good. I am not good. I'm actually a pretty terrible human being without him. I really am. I'm, my nature is selfish and self-centered and lustful and critical. But as he makes me new, as he continues to transform me, I am not those things. But it's all because of his grace, not because of my own striving. Striving never works. It just makes you exhausted. Doesn't boast, doesn't envy. When we look at somebody and they have a gift that we really want say they they have the gift of healing and we have been going after that thing for a long time we want to see people healed but that gift hasn't been cultivated in us yet do we envy our brother or sister because they have it and we don't what about prophecy are we jealous if we are if there's jealousy in us or a prideful arrogance, or a boasting in our own strength or abilities. It needs to die. Let's keep going. It says, love is not rude. It is not self-seeking, and it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. 
oh, come on now, rude, self-seeking, easily angered, and doesn't hold a grudge. How many of us really need to look inside right now and be honest with yourself, but really, really examine yourself? Do you have a temper? Do you find that you only want to serve others if you're also being served? Like if you're getting something out of it, because that's self-seeking. If you're if you're doing things for people because you get something out of it in return, that's not love. It is unbiblical to hold a grudge. We cannot. We are called to not hold a grudge. So when somebody wrongs you, just like Jesus tells us, we are to forgive, what is it, 70 times 7 every time. We forgive every single time because the way that we forgive is how we will be forgiven. Let's just go to it quickly. Uh, Jesus is in uh, Matthew 18, right? And he's talking to um, Peter and he's like, uh, Peter was like, ah, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Just, you know, up to seven. And Jesus is like, ah, you know, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. He says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Kingdom of heaven. Okay. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees and said this, be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt completely, just canceled it and let him go. 10,000 bags of gold. He, he just was like, he took pity on him. This is the king. And this is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about. So, you know, piece it together here. And when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, which is like nothing. He grabbed him up and began to choke him. It was like, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell to his knees, begged, be patient. He said the same exact thing, be patient to me and I will pay it back. But this dude refuses. Instead, he went off and the man and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. So he held the grudge. He put him in prison, right? He held this grudge until he could, what, pay back what it was that he owed. When the other servants, when the other Christians saw what happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that happened. And then the king, you know, comes back and he's like, you wicked servant. I canceled your debt. I forgave you for all of your sins against me. Because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had it on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Woo! That is convicting, y'all. We cannot hold a grudge. If we want to be forgiven by the Father, it clearly says, it's very clear here, 
This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I think we kind of like look at forgiveness as like a suggestion sometimes like, oh, we know we're Christians. We're supposed to forgive. La di da. Uh, No. If we do not forgive, the father will not forgive you. That's it's it's pretty much this is red letter stuff here. Jesus. All right. I didn't make it up. This isn't my thing. Like, it's pretty clear. So if like in first Corinthians, if we're holding a record of wrongs, holding on to a grudge, we are directly sinning. We are directly going against what the father has asked us to do. So here's the thing. Let's let's think about it. Sometimes we can't forgive them in our own strength. We can't do it. We can't bring ourselves to get past whatever wrong was done to us. Maybe some of you have been really wronged in your life. And it's really hard to forgive this person for the way that they've wronged you. This is why walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh is so important to us. Not only for, you know other people's sake, but for our own sake, that we can live free from these things that hold us back, bind us up. Because unforgiveness puts us in prison. Like we just read in Matthew 18, the servant that held the grudge was put in prison until his debt was paid off or whatever. Unforgiveness puts us in a prison. So the next part, it says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What this spoke to me was, you know how right now uh, there's a cultural thing that's happening where, you know, we're either going so far one way or so far the other way. Like, it's either hell and brimstone you know, rules, regulations, the law on one side. And then on the other side, it's just, ah, everything's cool. God is love. Like, oh, I'll just forgive you and forgive you and forgive you. Like, take advantage of the grace. Uh, He'll just always forgive you. Like, Both of those ways are wrong. Like, they're not helpful. It's not helpful. It's not helpful to shove the law in people's faces all the time. Um, clearly, the Pharisees were all about self-righteousness, right? Like that's that doesn't help people. But what also doesn't help people is just tolerating and being okay and telling them, you know, oh, it's okay that you're living in sin right now. Uh, you know, the Father will, f- will forgive you. Um, because that's not helpful either. That's not love. That's not love. The way that we can really love people, uh, the way that, you know, I'm learning. And and like I said, I'm still learning this stuff. I'm not perfect with it. I haven't just got it all figured out. I'm I'm just learning as I go. And I just want to share with you guys how and what I'm learning about and hope that it speaks to somebody. But anyways, so one of the ways that he's been growing in me is, you know, how to love people with truth. Like I got in a, in a, in a 
conversation with uh, somebody who is kind of a believer, I'd say like a lukewarm uh, Christian. So we got in this conversation about, you know, the way that we're supposed to handle, you know, sin and shortcomings and all of that, like with fellow Christians. Because I'll tell you one thing, when it comes to unbelievers, um, you know, that's a whole different, that's a whole different dynamic because they, they don't even know, they don't even know what they're doing. I'm just talking specifically for brothers and sisters, Christians, fellow Christians who know the word of the Lord um, and might just be in a dark place. I know myself, I, as if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you've heard some of my testimony. I have been in that dark place professing Christianity and living in darkness. So, I mean, I was there and I wonder like, what does it look like to love your brother or sister back into the light, right? So we're called to hold each other accountable, but it's all in the approach. It's all in the motive of the heart. This is why it says, you know, love. When we love, we don't delight in the evil. We're we're not just okay with them just living in sin and, and just saying things like, oh, this is just who I am. And God knows my heart. Because if we can really be honest with one another and ourselves, when we say things like, well, God knows my heart. This is, this is just who I am. For, fornication, you know, it just is what it is. I, I have to be this person. Um, I can't help myself, you know. Uh, I use that example because that is something that I've had like a lifelong struggle with. And something that, you know, God has really, really pruned me in and made it so that I, I truly desire to wait for intimacy like that until marriage. All of that to say, uh, I just feel in my heart that a, a good way to go about addressing your fellow Christian about their sin if they're living in it, it's one thing to like fall down, get back up and repent and change your ways. That's not living in sin, taking advantage of his grace, right? Living in sin, taking advantage of his grace would be like, you know, the one who is perpetually gossiping constantly. That's living in sin, slandering people's names all the time. Like that's, that needs addressed. Uh, like I said, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, um, before marriage, like living with them out outside of wedlock, like, well, because if you're living with them, it's a high possibility that you're, you know, being intimate, uh, you know, and how do we address these things, right? How do we go to our brother and sister and address it? So we talked about earlier, the, the right way would be go to them personally, one-on-one and, you know in love, uh, call them into the fullness that God has, has for them, right? Like declare over them the good things that the father has done for them and the gifts that they've been given and how, you know, living in a, a sin pattern can really destroy our testimony and can really Uh, just hold us back from the fullness that the father has for us because it's 
it's not like it separates us from his love because it doesn't, but it, but it does give us, it violates our conscience. So whenever our conscience is violated because we're living in perpetual sin, we can't move forward because we are being held back by our guilty conscience. When we see our loved one, when we see our brother and sister going down this spiral, it would be like seeking God and being, being like, Lord, how do you want me to address it? In what way? Uh, how can I come, come with patience? How can I come with kindness, but also with the truth? And Holy Spirit is so good, like he will lead you, right? Like he'll lead us to be able to address these things in love and truth with not a judgmental tone because that's the whole argument a lot of times like oh well we don't really shouldn't be addressing it because we shouldn't be judgmental but that's not true that's not true you can address truth without being judgmental it's all about your heart motive your your tone of voice your nonverbal body language it's there's so much that goes into how we love and a lot of it has to do with with the nonverbals it would be like uh, an encouraging thing right like oh man you know i i see that this this pattern happening and i just want to ask like are you okay uh how can i pray for you like what how can i destroy hell for you how can i encourage you to walk in the fullness of the spirit so the last part is that love always protects always trusts always hopes and always perseveres are we protecting people not only physically but emotionally spiritually are we praying for for them to be fully protected going in and going out are we speaking over them in love, protecting them from harmful words that could cut deep because we know that there is power in our words, right? Are we always trusting that if they aren't where they're supposed to be right now, are we trusting that they will be? Are we trusting that the Father will do in them what he's done in us instead of instantly jumping to conclusions or assuming things or making accusations? Are we trusting that what they say is true? Are we always hoping for the best for people? I know sometimes it's really hard and it's easy to lose hope because we have seen someone go down a road so many times and it just feels like it's never ending. I get that. But to truly love them, you'll always hope that no matter what happens, that they will return to, to the Father, that they will return to the family, that they will return to community or whatever it is that you're hoping for. And if you've lost hope, the good news is all you have to do is get into that secret place, seek the Father. And be honest with him. Tell him that you've lost hope. He already knows anyway. That's the great thing. Like we never have to put on a front in front of him. When we come to him and we just surrender all of our hopelessness, all of our 
greatest desires and and everything. He he listens and he knows. And the last part, always persevering. Enduring through all things. This is one thing that I know that we cannot do on our own is to persevere through all things. The amazing thing is is where we are weak, he is strong. He promises that. And so that way no man can boast, right? That he is the one that gets all the glory. Our weaknesses keep us humble. It keeps us in a place of knowing that we will always need to rely on the Father to be able to love well or or walk in the purpose that we are called to walk in. To finish up 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. So obviously, like when we're in heaven, we're not going to need tongues or uh, even the knowledge that we have now and um, prophecy because we're going to be in the fullness of the Father. And so, and, it, and then it says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. What this says to me is that as we grow in love, we mature, right? We put away childish things. I know that pretty much my entire podcast is about becoming more childlike, but there's a difference between childlikeness and childishness, you know? Because we're supposed to be growing and maturing in the Lord and in the spirit and in the ways of love. But if you've followed this podcast uh, long enough, you'll surely you've been able to pick up the difference between the two. And let's just continue. It says, now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So right now we just, we see a poor reflection of what we will see when we're face to face with all of his love, the fullness of love. Wow. And then lastly, it says, and now these three remain. Right now, these three remain while we're here on earth. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So lastly, I just want to quickly touch on the faith part. Because if you think back in Hebrews 11, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's very interesting to me personally that it says that the greatest of these three things is love. And then without faith, it's impossible to please him. So having that mustard seed, that tiny, tiny little bit of faith is all you need to please the father, right? We know that. Um, and we're supposed to always put our hope in Jesus, that he is our savior, that because of him, we have a hope to go to heaven and be with the father one day. And then greater than all of that is love. 
and the way that we show love while we're down here on earth to people, the way we represent him in love is greater than all the faith we could ever have and all of our hope. Like I said before, I am working on this myself as well. God has been refining my reactions so that I respond in love rather than react in flesh. So I challenge you to ask him what he wants to refine in you so that you can become love so that the world will know that we are his disciples. He is faithful. He will confirm his word to you. He desires for us to be maturing and not staying the same. So if you let him refine you in the fire, you will come out even more luminous than before. Instead of trying our best to love others, let's just become love. Until next time. <laughs>